Good morning. Good morning. I'm Joel. I greet any of you online who are watching. Uh, welcome to Heart City Church. And I'm glad you're here. We're reading Luke 24, verses 14 to 23, where the Lord Jesus establishes this, the Lord's Supper. And friends, if you truly take in, if you appropriate what this meal is about, it is going to change everything about your life going forward. Now, in a group this size, I can imagine, maybe even online, that the critic and a few of us may have risen up. Really, Pastor Joel? Are you living in a box? Did you see the war escalating in Ukraine, uh, all the mass shootings recently in our nation, the economy, inflation, or closer to home? Mentally, many of us are in crisis right now. Our families are broken. And you're telling me this ritual with a little bread and a little cups provides us with some sort of answer to all the crises we face. Well, to your first question, my friend, I don't live in a box, though part of me wishes I did last week. One of my lifelong friends lost their dad just two days ago, a great man. Bob Kelly died in agonizing, slow death from Parkinson's, or from Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, multiple members of this church called me up, lost their job. I sat in the ER yesterday with another member in great pain yesterday. I went to the hospital work to do my chaplain work, and I was handling a, just a really staggering census. It just dropped my heart in the pit of my stomach. My rounds on Thursday felt like I was walking on ground zero. So many hurting souls, many of them self-inflicted. I was so burdened actually by the trauma of being in the hospital that when I visited Brother Mark immediately afterwards, I told him if he was expecting Joyful Joel, the pastor, to show up, he'd have to be patient while I decompressed. I needed a few minutes just to talk and to pray, and maybe Joyful Joel would present himself. So no, I don't live in a box. I look out the windshield at the same world you guys see. I see the world is a mess. And I'm aware that I'm part of the problem. I'm not what I should be. That's why I'm so glad for Luke 22, this passage. This text where Jesus sets the table for us cheers me up. And afterwards, guess what? We even get to partake of this meal, which I'll honestly have been yearning for at least since Thursday. So the answer to question number two is also yes. And I hope that you might be convinced of that today. Do you understand what Jesus did in the upper room with these disciples 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem? Why he gave this meal and how it's connected to what he would do to save this world and us? And if you come to love him and to trust him to feed your hungry soul, then this meal has all kinds of relevance and immediate application to our lives as we walk out of here. Now I have a question for you to ponder as we read this text. Now, I suspect that all of us have thought at some point in our lives, and maybe even today, what the Lord's Supper means to us. Whether we've experienced it often, whether we've experienced it rarely, even if we've never experienced it at all, we all have thoughts about what this means to us. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought about what the Lord's Supper means to Jesus? What is the Lord Jesus experiencing at the table? 
Luke wants us to understand what this meal means to the Lord Jesus. And I want to suggest to you that if God opens our eyes to see the great meaning it has for Jesus, we might discover even more why it has such great meaning for us. Let's go to the Lord and ask for help before we come to this text. Heavenly Father, the sun is out, as Mark mentioned earlier. It's a wonderful day, and we want it to truly be wonderful, so we need to hear more than the words of a mere man standing here in a green shirt. We need to meet with Jesus. So I ask and pray that we might, this guy might go away and that Jesus might show up, and we also pray that we might come to know his heart for us. Send your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now hear the word of our God from Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14. And when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who is going to do this. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, Luke has recorded for us a night to remember, a night to remember. We remember, we look back on a scene that we discover here in Luke that Jesus was looking forward to. Verse 15, Jesus says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. In the Greek, it's actually the same word repeated, epithemia, epithemesis. Jesus is saying, desiring, with desire, I have desired. Jesus is saying, I have deeply longed for this, fervently anticipated having this meal with you. Now, this was not Jesus' first Passover meal with the disciples. So it would have surprised them when Jesus becomes really emphatic here about this particular feast. Friends, sacred scripture is showing us something about Jesus' heart for his own. There's no passage in all scripture describing Jesus' heart like this. I mean, Jesus always had strong desires. (laughs) Jesus never did anything half-hearted, never. But here on this night, Jesus' heart beats faster. It's throbbing for his beloved, for those he loves best, these 12 those who have come to him. That means all of us here. Luke twenty-two fifteen 15 is taking us into the inner recesses of Jesus' affection 
for each and every one of us. Dane Ortland writes, It is impossible for the affectionate heart of Christ to be over-celebrated, made too much of, exaggerated. It cannot be plumbed. But it is easily neglected, forgotten. We draw too little strength from it. Do you think that's true? We neglect or forget Christ's affection for us. Is that true of you? Is it true of me? Many of us heard that song as a child. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. I'll be the first to say that as I have gotten bigger, I feel less need to draw from the deep wells of Jesus' love. And I see my failures to take in his love have, and be strengthened by that love have been detrimental to my life. I've found myself pursuing things of this earth that can't love me back. I also don't know how to handle it oftentimes when the storms of life come. Incidentally, that's what's about to happen to these disciples. Their whole world is about to come crashing down on them this night. So to prepare them, Jesus makes clear his earnest desire to have this meal with them. A meal that would strengthen them. It would reveal his great love for them in the greatest trial they would ever face. So we're going to examine these aspects of Jesus' love, his heart for you under some headings. The first being loyal fellowship, loyal fellowship. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired, epithemia, epithemesa, to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Luke notes that the hour has come. They've all gathered around the table. Can you see this intimate Middle Eastern scene? They're in the upper room of a location that Jesus kept hidden for all because Jesus won't let anything prevent him having this meal with his family, this family that he has gathered together. Judas, one of the 12, has agreed to betray Jesus to the religious leaders to give them a location when Jesus would be away from the crowds so that they could snap the trap on Jesus. But... (laughs) Jesus is reading Judas like a book, like he reads all of us. And he didn't give the address out, if you recall, last week. He sent John and Peter ahead to find some mystery guy who happened to be carrying a water jar to lead them to a secret place where they could have this Passover meal because Jesus has been longing for this Passover, this night, for a long time. Jesus, I suspect, has had about 20-plus Passover meals. But this is the one he's been longing for since he was 12 years old and experienced his first. And as the eternal son of God, he's been counting down from about 1500. The first Passover when the children of Israel, they shed the blood of a spotless lamb and they painted its blood on the doorposts so the angel of death would pass over their house. And you do know the only reason the Hebrews were spared and the Egyptians weren't that night wasn't because the Hebrews were better people. No. It was lamb's blood on lumber. The only difference pointing forward to the cross that Jesus is about to take. 
And now as they look at this feast, this night, with this lamb, the bitter herbs, the unleavened bread, all of the regular rituals, the hour that Jesus has been so long waiting for is finally here. And now he looks at his own, this family he's gathered, brought together. He looks in with love and says, desiring, with desire, I have wanted to eat this Passover with you, with you, before I suffer. The eternal Son of God wants to be with them. And he wants to be with you, my friend. Let that sink in. I remember as a young boy, there were certain celebrity stars I would follow. You know, we follow people today. I actually got to meet Randy White in the Hall of Fame and shake his hand, his giant monster man. My hand just swallowed up. The Dallas Cowboys. We still follow people, right? We'd like to enter into their world, right? So we can show our love for them, our loyalty to them. How startling would it be for that celebrity maybe you have in mind if they wanted to enter your world out of a desire to be with you? I saw a commercial just the other day where there's this little boy and they ask him to make a birthday wish and he says, I wish Shaq was my real life big brother. And poof, larger than life, seven foot two, Shaquille O'Neal suddenly appears and the music plays, people let me tell you about my best friend. And suddenly you see this little boy with one of the greatest NBA players, he dwarfs him in size, spending time with this tiny little human and just loving him. Friends, that's just the shadow of this wish come true. Jesus is infinite God, the creator of the cosmos. These disciples are mere specks in the grand scheme of the universe. And the Lord Jesus enters into their world so he can have this meal with them. <laughs> What's even more remarkable is Jesus is fully focused on them and not his suffering. He mentioned that in a sentence. You find that remarkable? Jesus is about to undergo the most extreme punishment any human being has ever faced. No matter hours, Jesus will be scourged, beaten, whipped, spit upon, mocked, stripped naked, and then nailed to a cross. And then it gets bad, because then the sky is going to blacken, and his Father is going to rain hell upon his person. And yet Jesus is all in on just loving his own. He's not even looking at that. Can you even begin to comprehend? I can't. Such outward-facing love and defiance to all the suffering which is to come. Let me ask you, if you were about to experience the most suffering, excruciating pain you ever endured in your life, would you only be focused on loving others? We stop loving each other over hunger pains, right? I've seen the looks when it gets near lunch hour and some of you are like, is this guy ever going to land the plane? You know, it's like, yeah, I know. Now Jesus tells us, actually, he's not going to eat or drink the wine until this meal comes. That's the second aspect of his love. We can't handle hunger pains. Jesus' love is looking forward. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Twice Jesus says he's fasting. He is not going to feast until the kingdom of God comes. 
Jesus is looking forward to a future feast. He is anticipating sharing with these same disciples. What's that about, Joel? Jesus is confirming his love by this fast, not just to his disciples, but to you and I, us as well. He's saying, I won't feast or raise the glass until I get each and every last one of you home to be with me. Do you see Jesus' commitment to you? How he's looking forward to another feast? Has anyone ever showed you that kind of commitment? Jesus is looking forward to the final day, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Friends, the Bible is telling us that all of human history is bookended by two meals. There's the first in Genesis chapter 3 right at the beginning where the first humans eat off the wrong menu and then caused all this mess that we're in right now. And then you move to the end, Revelation 19. Check your Bible, read it yourself, don't trust me. Revelation 19, the wedding supper of the Lamb, where all will finally be made right as we're brought to this great feast with our Lord Jesus. That last feast actually reveals what was missing from the first feast, you know? What was missing from that first feast? The host. The creator. A single forbidden fruit in a huge garden was the one test. A fast for them. Can you wait? Not permanent. Not total. But Adam and Eve chose to rebel, to not wait and trust God, which show he was gracious. And instead, another guy hosts the feast, Satan, in the form of a serpent. And they ate. And what was the result? And sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all because all sinned. Romans 5. Do you realize a meal, a meal, the first meal in human history that's recorded, is why this world and all of us are so messed up? A meal. And that's actually why God started his plan of salvation with another meal, the first Passover. A lamb being slain to save. Of course, this was just a pointer, though, because Jesus is the final Passover lamb to set us free from a world where sin, the devil, and death reign. Jesus is earnestly desiring this meal because he actually wants to end Passover and get us looking forward to a new and better feast with him. You see, the first Passover may have gotten Israel out of Egypt, but it didn't get Egypt out of Israel. No, the temptations to live for this world and all the materials in it goes on, right? In Israel's history, they do not trust God. We see that today as folks just live for themselves and everything we can get and and we have all this neuroticism. In the first Passover, it may have squashed Pharaoh. Yay, a bad politician out of the way. Did nothing for Satan. He was the real enemy. And Satan's still hard at work, doing everything he can. He's the most miserable creature on the planet, and he's doing everything he can to make each and every one of us as miserable as himself. And the lamb's blood, it may have spared God's people from death that first Passover night, but it didn't stop my dear friend's father from dying two days ago. You see why with earnest desire Jesus pushes this Passover meal aside? And gives them a new meal, showing us another aspect of his love. 
lasting freedom that comes from this meal, lasting freedom that comes from his flesh and his blood. Verse 19, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. In case you were kind of wondering about the sequence, the cup, bread, cup, there are actually four cups that were passed around during the Passover meal. The earlier cup was actually one of the Passover cups. And I know you can try and follow the cups by bringing all the four accounts of the gospel together. But what's central here, and I don't want to get into that, is Jesus is actually transitioning his disciples from the Last Supper, the final Passover, to the Lord's Supper, which points us to the great feast, which is to come. And we need to understand what Jesus does here would shock his disciples. Jesus is saying new things have significance and the old things no longer do. Imagine if Sam invited me over for their traditional Thanksgiving. I mean, that's a tradition we have, right? For a traditional, tra- traditional Thanksgiving meal. Sam invites me over and Sam goes and he sets the turkey on the dinner table and I show up and I push it aside and I set down a pizza and I say... From now on, the new tradition at Thanksgiving is pizza. And the pizza party is all about me now. What's that, Sam? You would never invite me back? Okay. All right. Okay, okay, Sam. You get my point, though? Do you see how shocking this is? A 1,500-year tradition, out of the way. This, and it's all about me. See how assertive Jesus is? He pushes aside the lamb and sets the bread in front of them, and he says, do this in remembrance of me, of me. The bread represents his body, the cup, his blood. that are going to the cross. Our catechism teaches those who receive the Lord's Supper in the right way share in his body and blood with all his benefits, not physically, but by faith, and become spiritually stronger and grow in grace. Notice how it it emphasizes we don't benefit physically from this, but spiritually we're strengthened. That's why Jesus is emphasizing the new covenant. Because the former covenant, it was all external. It was a bunch of external rituals in a temple made of stone. Not anymore, my believing friends. Jesus' death and resurrection changed all that. The Holy Spirit has been poured out, so now... You, the people of God, are the temple of God. The temple of living God. And by faith, we're being lifted up out of this world into a greater spiritual reality every time we gather together. That means what we do here on a Sunday morning is not just a bunch of rituals in a building, downtown building. That's not what we're doing here. I'm not just going through some motions so I can be good with God for another week. (laughs) Otherwise, I might have woke up this Sunday morning and obeyed that urge. Joel, you don't need to go to church. Joel, you've been to church five times already this year, and February just started. You're doing pretty good. What difference is it going to take, make if you take one Sunday off? Okay, you're the preacher. It might make a difference. <laughs> but you get my point. If I live that way, I'm saying that I'm not taking in the reality 
that Jesus Christ is actually more present here today in the gathered people of God than he was in that upper room with the disciples in the flesh 2,000 years ago. Do you realize that? That's why I can't wait for Sunday to come, to experience his love, because I know Jesus earnestly desires for me to be here with him in the gathered people of God where he is most present. How about you? How about you? If I'm desiring him, I come here desiring him, I find more and more I'm discovering Jesus in the songs that we sing. I start to hear him whisper to me in the word that is preached. I begin to experience his presence in the body, those he saved. And more, the Lord's Supper, he's earnestly desiring to meet with me and to feed me, to hand me bread, to nourish me, to spiritual life. Jesus has given me a little taste of heaven. As I remember that he took away my hell because he took the cup that I deserved, the cup of cursing, and handed me the cup of blessing so that, yes, I can go out of here and live well in this world. You see, as I take in the love of Jesus, what he has in his heart for me, when I see how much I'm loved, it changes everything when I go out there. I walk out of here free from sin and shame and fear and so many other things that are plaguing everyone out there. To take in this new covenant meal, you see, it is to participate in Jesus' death and new life, his resurrection. Who else can say that but the Christian? And all because in love, Jesus chose to save me. If you're a not yet Christian, think about that. Actually, think about all those things you don't want to think about, that you try to numb, that you try to stuff down, that you try and bury and hide. Think about shame from your past. Think about the humiliation. Think about all those things you don't want anybody here to know about. Jesus wants to bear that for you. Jesus wants to take that. Jesus says to his father, I love this one. Let me bear their sin and shame on the cross so they can be with me always. And even begin to live out that relationship now. What's stopping you from coming to him? Our final aspect of his love is it is limitlessly faithful. There are no limits to his faithful love for you. Verse 21, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who is going to do this? Jesus knows Judas is about to betray him, but he still loves Judas. He leaves them unnamed here and cries out, Uai ha ekonoths anthropos. Woe to that man. An expression of deep grief for Judas. Not for himself, for Judas. Jesus loved his enemy right to the end. You know, that's my great comfort. That Jesus' faithfulness doesn't stop when mine does. Jesus' love doesn't stop when mine does. That's my great comfort. His faithfulness to us is limitless. 
so long as we have breath. We see Jesus loves these disciples who still don't get it. They have no clue. Actually, he's told them three times, I'm going to Jerusalem to die, and each time Luke tells them, oh, and they went right over their heads. They don't get it. They don't get his love. They don't get his human sacrifice. But at least they know in their hearts that their faithfulness to him is questionable. You see that? Maybe that's where you are right now. You don't really understand the cross. You don't understand the gospel. But maybe you are beginning to sense that Jesus loves you. Your creator loves you. And you also sense that you're not capable of being faithful to the one who loves you so much. And if that hits you in your heart like it did mine this week, (laughs) because I know I'm too weak to earnestly desire Jesus like he earnestly desires me, if that's where you're at, praise be to God. You're right where you need to be. You see, the gospel is not about you knowing that you're faithful. The gospel is about you knowing that Jesus is faithful. And his faithfulness is limitless. And he earnestly desires you to come to this feast. He even commands it. He says, do this. Do this. Because he wants you to know his love. He says it to 12 disciples who are all about to fail him big time. (laughs) So when they do fall, what will they remember? This loving table command. So when we return, they won't be returning on their own strength. We're so faithful to Jesus. No, they're coming here so they will be strengthened. And they'll also come knowing that this table shows that the Lord is merciful even to the most feeble of sinners, those who are too weak on their own. The Lord's Supper, friends, gives the supreme picture, not just of Jesus' love, but also his power and grace to save us at our worst. And I hope you see him standing there, looking at you in love. And I hope that the song will come to your heart. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. And if you find yourself earnestly desiring it more right now, praise be to God, because that is the work of the Spirit of Christ in your heart. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, we thank you so much because you have granted to feed us in these holy mysteries with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son and our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you've assured us through this word of your favor and goodness towards us and that the moment we first believe, we become members of that mystical body, which is the blessed company of all the faithful people and wonderfully heirs to something far better than anything this world can offer, the hope of your everlasting kingdom and only by the merits of the precious death and passion of your dear son. We most humbly ask you, Heavenly Father, that you will assist us with your grace, that we may continue in that holy fellowship and do all such good works as you have prepared for us to walk in. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory, world without end. Amen. Amen. Amen.